You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Thank you again for joining us, everybody. Those of you who are watching online, we're starting a brand new series today titled Living Water. Um, My name is J.D. Miller, if you came in during the music portion, and I'm usually accompanied by my awesome, amazing wife of 19 years, but right now she's probably between New York and Montana. She's going on, a, on an all-women's trip with other women that are in ministry just to refresh, rest, uh, and, and share, you know, heart and, and, and share some time together in, in the mountains of Montana. So, yeah, yeah, she, she's, in a, she's in a good space. Probably somewhere in Utah right now, watching. Love you, honey. Uh, miss you. She sends you her regards. Um, but we're excited to start this series, and we're going to run this series until Easter. I was going to, to have this series after Easter. This was going to be a follow-up. But since we're doing Water Day, I figured, hey, living water, Water Day, let's all combine everything and, and have a good time. I'm talking about the water uh, that, that we're going to give to all those people in the Dominican Republic, but also the water for our souls that Jesus invites us to have. So thank you for being here today. And the message title today, if you're taking notes, is a seat at the table. Seat at the table. We live in an era that glorifies busyness. We think that being busy means being successful. That, that if you are busy, you're moving forward. If you're active, there's, there's got to be uh, some kind of uh, image of success about you. Not too long ago, though, this was not the picture. Not too long ago, the people who could not stop working were the people who were in servitude, the slaves, the peasants, the plebeians. They were the ones who couldn't escape from busyness and had to produce and work hard so that the successful and the powerful could enjoy a life of leisure. But today, for some reason, we have ushered in an age where we think that busyness We think that activity equals to productivity, and that's not necessarily true. We think that we got to have our attention and focus on something else all the time, and we're driven toward it too, all the time. I wonder if you have stopped to consider, stopped to think about, why? Why are you so busy? Why are you so involved in so many things all the time? Why are you so active? Why are you always doing something? Is it because there is an appetite? Is it because there is a thirst in your heart? Is it because there's an ambition, a desire? I think we all want something. We all want and are working towards something. We want more. And the more we run toward this thing that we want, the more we chase it, the more we work for it, the the less we feel like we have it. Isn't it true? John D. Rockefeller was asked once, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. But that longing that we have, that satisfaction that we seek, seemed to be just far enough 
that we keep trying. We keep searching. We keep going. We keep reaching. And if that's you, take inventory this morning. Isn't that exhausting for your soul? Isn't that exhausting for your mind? Aren't you looking forward to vacation all the time? Do you find yourself like daydreaming about a different life somewhere else? Do you find yourself catching yourself thinking about, man, it would be awesome if my life looked a little different. When is it going to be enough? When is life going to be enough? This is what this series is about. We want to talk about the antidote to this frantic and seemingly never-ending cycle that keeps leaving us dry emotionally, in our soul, in our spirit. This is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is an invitation. Jesus was inviting all of us, not to a religion, not even to a spiritual understanding of his practices, but he is actually inviting us to a way of life, an actual way to live. And the yoke here is something that we wouldn't be commonly familiar. It's a language that is not within the context of our lives, but Jesus' hearers would understand what the yoke means because in an agrarian society it was a very common tool it was a very common device so Jesus was speaking to them in a language that they, they could understand the double meaning is this is not only the yoke that the animals would carry because a yoke is that device that linked two animals so they, they can pull weight including a plow to plow the land but a yoke was also because of that meaning it was also what a rabbi a teacher of the law would call his list of requirements. See, a rabbi in Jesus' days, he would have apprentices. He would have disciples. And every studied rabbi, every rabbi that had a reputation would have a certain list of requirements that you would have to uh, commit to before you became his apprentice. And that was called a rabbi's yoke. The closest thing that we have is probably a class syllabus on a college campus you get that syllabus and you go like oh my gosh I have to do all this but imagine if a syllabus also went into your personal life how you have what you have you got to eat how you got to shower what kind of relationships you're supposed to have how you deal with your mom your dad your your wife your kids and it doesn't end in when the semester ends it, it continues for the rest of your life so it's a little bit more extensive, right? That's what a rabbi's yoke was. And so people understood this. They understood that, that a yoke helps you carry heavy things. And that a good yoke would help you carry the weights of life properly. And a bad yoke would break under the weights of life. People understood that a yoke was needed for you to plow through life. And to carry the weight. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you're tired, if the weights of the world are on your shoulders, come to me. Learn from my way of life. Learn from my way of carrying the weights 
of life because my teachings, my way to carry life is not burdensome. It's not going to weigh on you. They're easy and they're light. This week, one year ago, was our last in-person service before the pandemic. This week, one year ago, is when we had two weeks to stop the spread. It's a long two weeks we've been had. Remember when the pandemic started, like 10 years ago? Doesn't it feel like it was so long? I pulled out some jackets when it started getting cold again, and I think it was like two, two, a month ago, I had this jacket that I hadn't worn in a long time, and I put my hands in my pocket, and there was a mask in there. I'm like, is this what life is now? I'm going to find masks everywhere. <laughs> Not bitter. just want to get over it, you know? But I don't know if you remember that when it started, like right around April, we all started talking about it, making posts about this is an opportunity. This is going to be an opportunity for us to do all the things that we wanted to do. Let's look at the positive. Let's look at the, the silver lining. It's going to be great. We're going to do all the things. How did that work for you? How did that work for you? It's been a year. Listen, I was right there with you. I wanted to read so many books. I wanted to do so many things, write so many blogs. I wanted to get in the best shape of my life, spend time with my family. And here's what I realized quickly, that the pandemic had very little to do with help me, helping me toward those goals. See, a quarantine and a lockdown, they can give you a chance to reform your habits, but it won't do it for you. Having free time won't just do it for you. And this is important because we live with this idea that if some of the requirements that, are, that we have in our lives didn't exist, we would be a completely different person. That if we, if we didn't have to work so much, if we didn't have to, to, to pay so many bills, we would be completely different. Man, we would, we would work out all the time. We, we, would, we would be fitter. We, we would be so much more generous if we had more money. We would spend more time with our family. And some of that might be true to a degree. But this is what I realized this pandemic. I didn't read as many books as I, as I thought I was. I read, I read some, but not as many. I didn't write as much. I didn't work out as much. I did work out, but not as much. And I got busier. I actually got busier. I had less meetings, in person at least. But there was much more work to do. I did spend a lot of time with our family, which was awesome. Now, I don't know what line of work you're in or what's your, what's your occupation or if this pandemic made you busier or not. Or maybe, you know, it got you to lose your job. And for so many people, that's the reality. But I think it's safe to say that for 99% of us, whatever we did, we just did more of what we were already doing. We just, we just, we, we were the same people, the same version of that we were, and, and we were just more of it. So there was no alternative self waiting to be unleashed. There was no alternative person just, because you were there. You just did more of what you were already doing. 
If you were somebody who had a routine of working out, you were probably working out more. If you, you probably took more naps than you did or played more video games or more TV shows, more Netflix, more social media, more posts. And on top of that, COVID anxiety, just cramming on top of that. And if that's you, I mean, no wonder a year later, there is, there's so much room for frustration and, and fatigue and and you're trying to grasp at, at, at a, new, a new hope. Tired of Zoom meetings. Tired of online, anything. And also empty. And the, the idea is, gosh, what if there's a way to live free from all of this? A way to live free from the constant hustle and bustle and, and busyness. That's Jesus' invitation. That's what he's calling us to to practice his way of life, to live as he lives, to follow him in his way of life. And it's an invitation to a relationship, to an apprenticeship. It's time for you to live again, to learn how to live again, and, and to do it the right way. But here's the reality for all of us. Jesus' invitation is not the only invitation that's coming at us. There are other invitations coming to you every single day. In fact, you get multiple invitations every single day. Every single one of us do. Every calendar invite, every notification on your phone, every text message, every email, every phone call, every piece of junk mail full of coupons for the best pizza around the corner, every ad you hear or, or, you, hear or you see. Is an invitation. It's an invitation for you to spend your time and your energy and your focus on that thing. And we are all overwhelmed with these invitations. We're all overwhelmed. It never stops every single day. Every invitation that comes to you is constant. And every invitation comes with a promise. Promise of happiness. Promise of satisfaction. But only Jesus' invitation delivers living water. He invites us to a life of living water. See, here's the thing. Unless we are proactive to answer Jesus' invitation, all these other invitations that we get are going to take over. And they're going to take over our life and all of our time every day. So I got two things here on stage that represents these invitations. On my left side, or your left side, I have this giant TV. And it represents all that has to do with our life. Not just TV, but, you know, every, every smart device you have, all of the commitments that you have. It's, it's the portal to your world. And then on this side, we have a table. And this represents Jesus' invitation to just sit at his presence. And receive from him. We find a story in John chapter 4. A very well known story that exemplifies this. Jesus was headed to Galilee. And on the way to Galilee. He decided to go through Samaria. By a, ta a town called Sychar. And uh, if you don't know the story. It's important for you to know that. Samaritans and Jews did not get along. Actually they did not like each other. They were, they were enemies. 
There was a lot of racism. There was a lot of prejudice against each other there. So when they get to this town, it's kind of interesting because Jesus gets to the edge of the town and he sends his boys into the town. He sends his disciples into it and it doesn't go with them. It's almost like Jesus, you made us go through Samaria. Now he's sending us alone into the town. It's not very nice. But Jesus was on a mission. And he waited outside the city and he sat by a water well that was there. And that's a symbol by itself. But Jesus was there and as he waited, a woman came to draw water from that well. She had her jars with her. And as she came, Jesus began a conversation. It strikes her as odd that a man that is a Jew would talk to her. Not only because she's a Samaritan, but she's a woman. And that was not the customary thing to do. But she's curious. So she engages Jesus. She begins to talk to him. And they begin a conversation. At one point on the conversation, Jesus makes this statement. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Powerful words. And as the conversation progressed, we noticed that the lady had answered to a lot of life's invitations. She had answered to many, many of life's invitations. And she had been searching and searching and searching. But she was still thirsty. She was still wanting. She was still dry. She was still lacking. One thing that we learned from the stories that she was searching was to satisfy her need for a relationship. She wanted to find someone to share her life with. And so she tried. And she tried again. She tried five times. And she was divorced five times. Five times it didn't work. And now she was with a man that wasn't her husband. It was someone else's husband. Now let me pause right here because for the sake of the illustration and to bring her story to this reality, we could say that she was on this side of life. That this lady was answering to the invitations that come. From this side of life. She said yes to the party invite. She said yes to that, uh, the, 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 the life, what life was throwing at her. She said yes to so many things. Yes to the car. Yes to the, the neighborhood. Yes to the trip. Yes. Yes to whatever was popular now. Yes to the, the, the new show on Netflix that everybody's watching. She said yes to all that trying to satisfy her soul. But she was still busy, overcommitted, tired, with empty jars. And here's what's interesting. She, she didn't confess to her failed marriages. Jesus discovered it. Jesus, Jesus had a, a prophetic word. He, he saw it. Jesus just knew. And he called it out. Now what I find interesting is that in that moment, the moment that Jesus says, hey, you're right that you don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, and the one that you have is not yours. She goes like, whoa, you're a prophet. You, you, you just knew that you, you're a prophet. Now that you're a prophet, she, she starts talking about worship, which tells me this. She had said yes to the, those inspiring messages on Instagram with all the, the inspirational quotes. 
She, she had gone to the Christian concert. She had gone to, to the, the prayer meeting. She had gone to, to the church service. She had gone to, to the things that, that people were presenting and saying, hey, if, if you do this, it's going to be good for you. She, she, she said yes to all that. See, she wasn't an atheist. She wasn't irreligious. She called Jacob our father. She was a descendant of Abraham. She knew of God. Yet, she was still thirsty. Have you been there? The conversation continued. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped you on this mountain. But you say that in, you, meaning the Jews, say that in Jerusalem, Jer- Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and, now, and, and is now here when tr- the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. I don't know if you've ever felt confused about your worship. Like, where should I worship? Maybe you grew up in a tradition where you had to go to a certain place and you had to do a certain thing. You know, Protestants go to service. Catholics go to Mass. Uh, Adventists say, uh, keep the Sabbath. And I, well, what am I supposed to do? Church in a school, J.D.? I don't think so. It's weird. Like, I'm going to go to a church in an auditorium? Like, is that a real thing? How about how to worship? What do I do about the sacraments? So what do I do about the confession? Do I get baptized? Do I not get baptized? Should I baptize in immersion or should I just get a spray on my head? What do I do? Do I sing and clap during worship? I don't know what to do with my hands. What do I do? Do I kneel? Do I not kneel? Do I stand? (sighs) Am I supposed to pray out loud? Can God hear my thoughts? How do I do this? That was her quest. She She was... She was so focused on, wow, what am I supposed to do? I've been looking, I've been searching, and I'm trying and trying, but you guys say it's over there. We say it's over here. I'm still empty. And to that, Jesus said, woman, very soon, it's not going to be neither here nor there. Very soon, none of this is going to matter. Because the Father is searching for people who worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I want to tell you that that invitation still stands. God is still inviting you. Jesus is still inviting you to come and learn from him. Learn from his way of life. Take his yoke that's easy. And God is still looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. He's still searching and still calling us to live that kind of life. But what was Jesus talking about? Spirit and in truth. Here it is. He was talking about the table. He was inviting us to come to the table and to sit in his presence. To stop the hustle and bustle. To stop with the busyness of life. To find a space in our lives where we can just come to his presence and sit and rest and receive from him. When was it the last time that you pressed pause? When was the last time that you 
had a moment with God like that. So you don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go to a pastor. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to come here. You don't have to go to a mountain or a temple. We don't depend on a church service to connect to God. Now we come together. It's good. This is important. Scripture does say, do not forsake the assembly of the righteous. We should not forsake the assembly. But we don't come here as our only mechanism and our only way to connect to God. We come here because we get to connect to Him every single day. And so we get together to celebrate. To celebrate what He has done. To celebrate what He is and what He means to us and what He's doing through our lives. We have been invited to his table. That's why we celebrate. Now, right about now, those of you who are savvy and been going to church for a while, you know what you're, you already know. You're thinking, J.D., I know where you're going with this message. You're going to tell me that I got to pray more. I got to read more. And I got to be in God's presence more. I got to worship more. And boy, I'm already feeling guilty because I haven't done enough of that. I, I thought I was going to do a lot more of that during this pandemic, but it did not happen. And you know what? You're right. I am asking you to consider those practices, but not in the way that you might be thinking. See, many of us, we are so used to and intoxicated by the way of the world that we want God to come here. We want God to come to this side of our life. We want God to come to our business, to our mess, and we want Him to govern this. But guess what? This is not his kingdom. He didn't call you here. Sure, he wants you here. He wants you to shine a light in this reality. He wants to give you enough hope, enough faith, enough, enough vitality to bring his kingdom into this reality. But this is not his kingdom. This is not his world. Jesus said, I have a kingdom that's not of this world. We embrace our spirituality in the same way that we embrace a fitness challenge. We got to schedule, we got to discipline, we got to do it ourselves, we got to bring God here, we got to have willpower. But this is this is this is a loud loud world. God is on the other side. He's calling you to come. And sit in his presence. To disconnect from everything that's draining you and emptying you. And to come into his presence and sit. But even this walk. Even coming across the stage to sit in his presence at his table. We need him for it, for, to do it. We need his strength to do this. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it. We can't just disconnect. We need God to come to his presence. And this is the mistake that many of us make. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet 
the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. That's a very important disclaimer. Because he's calling you to say, hey, come, I'll give you living water. But John is making sure that we know here, listen, he's talking about something very specific. It's not a mystery. It's not elusive. It's not a secret to anybody. Jesus is talking about something specific when he says that we ought to worship in spirit and in truth. And the living water is something specific. See, when I was a teenager, I used to be a worship leader. And this passage intrigued me because... It's one of those passages that every worship leader and every person that is in worship, like you're, you're, you're taught in it and you're told and you're, you're, you're kind of like encouraged to focus on, hey, let's worship in spirit and in truth. And in my mind, I'm, I was, as a young boy, a young man, I was like trying to figure out what, what, what do I have to do? Like what, what are the practices? What do I have to do to worship in spirit and in truth? Do I even know? Am I doing it? it Am I doing it? Am I worshiping in spirit and in truth? Is this what it is? I don't know if you ever felt like that. Like, am I, am I actually doing what the scripture is telling me to do? Like, I'm not sure. Do I, do I have to pray more? Do I have to do a certain, pray a certain way and, and, and do certain things? And then it dawned on me. It's not about what I do. It's, it's about what Jesus did. It's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did. If I can only quiet the noise. If I can only walk away and be in his presence and open my heart and invite the Holy Spirit into my heart. Invite his presence into my heart and say, Jesus, bring your spirit into my heart right now. And do what you do. Then I'll begin to live it. And what I want to invite you to do, what I want to invite you to do in 2021 is to live a life, to set aside time, to walk away from whatever is taking all of your attention and draining your soul and draining your mind and draining your spirit and making time to receive the living water of the Spirit in your heart. He's inviting you. He's calling you. You want to encourage you to do that in 2021. See, it doesn't come from your own effort. It's not like a secret thing that you got to do. Jesus is very clear. The scriptures are very clear. Jesus was talking about the spirit that was to come. It's not from your effort. It's the opposite. It's when you cease your efforts. See, the world says if you do, you get it. And so we do, we do, we do, we do. If you, if you, if you go for it, you're going to... And, and you might have amazing achievements in your life. And God bless you for it. But how about that soul satisfaction? How about that sense of purpose? How about feeling full? Feeling like your life has a purpose? Feeling like things are in the right place? If you try to draw that from the outside, man, it's going to be very difficult. So I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you actually to maybe challenge you even to commune with God every day. See, we are, we are in a season of Lent right now. And some of you practice Lent. I want to invite you to do that. Set aside time. It could be five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Every single day to sit in the quiet. To sit with God and begin this practice. It might be awkward at first because your soul is restless. And you want the fix. You want the, the feed. You want the news. You want, you want to get the rush. 
But I encourage you to do that, to unplug from now till Easter, to take the challenge. You're not going to be perfect at it. You're not going to, most likely, you're not going to be able to remember every single day. But if you don't, just get right back at it. Holy Spirit will remind you. And try to do that and see the difference that it will make in your life when you begin to do that. So I want, I want to encourage you to do that. And I want to, I want to give you, in the next few minutes, three very practical attitudes for you to sit at the table. Okay? Three attitudes for you to sit at the table in God's presence. The first attitude is this. Come to the table in faith. Come to it full of faith. Don't come with fear. Come in faith. This is what the scripture says. Jeremiah 7, chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You know what this is? This is you. When you take time to be with God and sit in his presence, what you're doing, you're, you're letting your roots, the roots of your soul and your spirit go down deeper than the shallow things of life. You're not drawing your food and your nutrition for your soul from whatever it's going on outside. So when the drought can, can, comes, when a pandemic comes, when something bad happens, it doesn't take away from your vitality because your roots are deep in God. Every single day, you're finding your heart in Him. Every single day, you're finding your identity in Him. Every single day, you're coming to Him in faith. And you draw your faith and your strength from Him. That's what this does to you. So that you are not tossed to and fro. So that if you, if you suffer loss, it doesn't change the state of your spirit. You're still bearing fruit. You're still blessing others. You're still a light in the darkness. Second attitude. Come to the table with courage. Come to the table with courage. It takes courage for you to unplug. It takes courage for you to say no to everything else. I love this quote by uh, the psych American psychologist Rollo May. This is what we wrote. The opposite to courage is not cowardice, as many may think. That rather is the lack of courage. The opposite to courage is automaton Conformity. Basically automatic conformity. Like you, you're conformed to the world and you don't even know it. And, and you have things right now. Every smart device you have, every smart thing you have has a built-in algorithm to steal your attention, to steal your energy, and to have you programmed to go back at it again and again and again and again. That's why I love our Sundays because it's a break from all of it, right? Some of you might have even like gotten to your phone and see what's going on. It, it, it's too strong. We're programmed. How can you fight a multi-billion dollar corporation investing millions and millions of dollars to get your brain hit on dopamine? How can you wean off of that stuff? You do it by coming to the table. By disconnecting and saying, God, I need you. The third attitude. 
is come to the table as a son and a daughter. So it's going to take courage. But you don't come to the table as somebody who doesn't belong. You come to the table as a son and a daughter because you are a son and a daughter. There's a story. I don't have the scripture. But there's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. A beautiful, beautiful story. If you know the story of David, you know that he was a shepherd boy who came from a humble family, and God anointed him to be king. He went through a process of being king. It took years, close to 30 years, for him to actually become king from the moment he got anointed. Uh, and it was the promise of the throne. But in that process, he was persecuted. In that process, he suffered harm. And he made a friendship with the son of the king. His name was Jonathan. They were friends. They loved each other. And, and David, because, because Jonathan saved his life multiple times and multiple occasions, David decided to honor Jonathan. So this is what happens. When a king takes over power, back in those days, the standard practice would be to eliminate every single family member of the former family, the former king. So when Saul, King Saul, who was David's predecessor, died and his son Jonathan died with him, the automatic assumption of everyone is that David is going to come for his family and, he's, and for his servants and he's going to kill everybody. That was the standard practice because kings would not want the sons or grandsons of a king to rise up and cause a revolt. They wouldn't want anybody to say, hey, I'm the true king. You don't deserve the throne. And then there's a revolt in the kingdom. So they would just do that. They would just wipe him out. It's gruesome, but that's the way it was. But, and so, so when, when, when Saul and Jonathan died, Saul's, uh, Saul's servant, who took care of Jonathan's grandson, his name was Mephibosheth, ran away with him. And in the process of running away with him, she tripped and fell. Mephibosheth broke his legs and became lame on both legs. But he was hiding away. Years go by. And David puts out the question to one of his men. He says, hey, is there anybody left from the house of Saul? I would like to honor them because of my friendship and my covenant with Jonathan. And they said, there is, there is one. Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, is still alive. And he is, you know, far in, in, in a village. And they called him, and they brought him in. Mephibosheth, as lame as he was, comes into David's presence, bows down with his head to the floor. And David says, no, 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 don't fear. Get up. I'm not going to take your life. I'm going to honor you. Because of my friendship with your father and my covenant with your father, I'm going to restore every single thing that every single land and every single thing that was Saul's is going to become yours. And you will sit at my table every day. And Mephibosheth was like, who am I but a dog that you would give me such favor? And he sent out the decree and he told all the servants that used to be servants of Saul and said, you're going to work for Mephibosheth now. You're going to maintain his state. You're going to maintain his land. And Mephibosheth was called to sit at the table. That is an example. That is a picture of you and I, of God's love for you 
and I. When we fall, when we become lame because of life's trials, and we feel like because of our past, because of our transgressions, we are at odds with God, and we try to hide, God invites us in. And he says, come, come into my presence. I'm not mad at you. I want to restore what I had already determined for your life. Only come into my presence and have a seat uh, uh, and sit at my table. Have a seat at my table. Now, here's the beauty of us coming to God's presence is that no matter how lame you might be, you might feel like, I don't have what it takes to walk through life. I've gone through so many troubles. You might feel like Mephibosheth. You can't really navigate through life because life has gotten the best of you. When you're at the table, all your imperfections are covered. And when you sit at the table, you're not lame. God's grace covers and you are equal to everyone else. We are children of God. And he invites us to sit at his table by his grace, by his love. He wants to restore you. He wants you to be full of life, full of joy, full of grace, full of wonder. Have inspiration for your life. Have new ideas. Have strength to navigate the challenges that you might face. Have a plan for your future. And he wants to share that with you. And that will happen not out there. It's going to happen in his presence at the table. And my challenge to you today is that you may receive the living water that God has for you every single day. Yes, come back on Sundays. Be with us in person. Watch online if you're not, if you're not healthy to be here in person. But every single day, unplug and get to the table. Open your scriptures. Read a psalm. Pray. Read a chapter from the gospel. Pray. Say, God, I give you my heart. Teach me how to do this. Talk like you talk to a friend. Say, God, I've been worried about, I've been worried about this relationship that I have. I've been worried about this job opportunity. I don't know what to say to my boss. God, I don't know how to come up with a solution for this problem I'm facing. God, I... I I spent too much money. I'm, I'm in debt, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay. I don't have the ability to do it. Give me the strategy. Lay your burdens down in his presence. Remember, you are a son and a daughter of God. And you can come with all of your problems, all of your issues, and he will receive you in his loving arms. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Would you mind standing? Band, you can come up.